0: from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centers everywhere every monday at 4 p.m. on your community radio 3CR
1: we are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution
0: hello and welcome to the do and time show this is 3CR community radio 855 a.m. on the dial streaming live on www.3cr.org.au And yeah this is Marissa running solo um, on the Do and time show today and there's quite a quite a few things happening and I'll just give you a little bit of a rundown. First off we're going to be speaking with Ken canning from I Sydney who's a wonderful activist and we're going to be speaking with him about um, some very very disturbing, Goings on, and there have been a number of protests about this. Um, we're going to be speaking with him about some comments that were made by a minister um, about about Aboriginal children, and so we're and uh, uh, being adopted by white families to prevent rape and sexual abuse. And I want to just warn um, listeners that if you're not happy listening to this content, although I can't imagine why you wouldn't be happy happy listening to this content, um, that it is confrontational and if people aren't happy with it, rather than complain, turn your radios off and go and have a cup of tea. Otherwise, um, do tune in because you might um, learn something something, um, educational. Yeah, so pretty soon we're going to be speaking with Ken um, about this and... So the Minister has suggested that white families be allowed to adopt abused Aboriginal children to save them from rape, assault and neglect. Um, So, yeah, we'll just uh, cross over to him in just a second. Hello, Ken. Welcome to the program.
1: Hello, Melissa. How are you? Good?
0: Yeah, good, thanks. (laughs) Did you hear the intro? Yes,
1: yes, that was good, thanks. Yeah, it was pretty... Very accurate to what's going on, yeah know. So, yeah, could um, you
0: tell us, because, I mean, a lot, a lot of listeners aren't aware, could you just tell us what it is and what, how can we put this in context? Because I think there's been a lot of misinterpretations and,
1: yeah. Well, there's been a lot of rubbish. I mean, the, yeah. the minister in question, and listeners have to forgive me, but um, all these white ministers look alike to me, so I get them confused. Uh, and he's that insignificant. I can't remember his name. So... Um, That may seem a bit racist, but that's how it is. Uh, um, The minister in question has come out and said um, virtually, you know, there should be another sovereign generation. They should have Aboriginal kids put into white homes. Uh, The Sunrise program went along with that, straight along with that without questioning it. And without even trying to validate anything that um, was said, whether it was true or not, he was talking about abused children. Um, can you still hear? Because my phone's a bit funny. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, can you yeah, yeah. It? Sorry, yeah, that's all right. yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, that's um, right. yeah. It goes a bit funny. so but that's okay. Yeah, no. he, he didn't even bother. They don't even bother checking facts. Now, after the Northern Territory intervention, fact one: the Australian Medical Association did um, examinations not only in Northern Territory but all over Australia. They came across with the with the more accurate figures that there's more child abuse happening with non non-Abor- within non-aboriginal families than there are in Aboriginal families. That's that's come from the Australian Medical Association, right? Let, yeah. Let's get, a, let's get a, a good handle on this. We've just had a Royal Commission into the abuse of white kids, the systematic abuse that went on till today of white kids in institutions, in all institutions. It just wasn't the Catholic Church. It was across the spectrum in all institutions, abused. Some of them in foster care, abused. Yet, did at one time did the Sunrise program run a show and say maybe we should have put these kids in with Asian homes because we don't hear of abuse in Asian families? <laughs> um, did we take white uh, kids and give them to Asian? No, they didn't say that. No, no. Now the minister made that this erroneous statement that uh, as it is as it is now, Aboriginal kids who are at risk are kept with Aboriginal families. Rubbish. We had an agreement with the old docs, and now called facts. They change their name every few years to avoid um, you know, the bad name they, they build up. Um, we had an agreement that uh, children taken would be found a, a, a suitable home within the community, within the Aboriginal community, and there are plenty of them. Don't get carried, we can't get carried away with this, of course sunrise KKK mentality. There are plenty of good Aboriginal people out there who could take kids at risk in and want to take kids at risk Absolutely. In. Extended families, good community members. But no, they don't know. They're saying no, they, they're taken back and much McSweeney comes on and says her mouthful. No, they're given back. To, they stay in the community. Rubbish. Kids are taken into state so their parents can't see them. Kids who are illegally taken are not at risk. And Correct. they're taken away where their parents cannot have any contact with them whatsoever.
0: And so no they, one on that panel was Aboriginal.
1: No one on that panel. They, all they were, all these people on there were, you know, white people who have little or no factual information about Aboriginal affairs. The minister himself. Is an absolute deal. He knows nothing about what's happening within docs, facts, or whatever they want to call it, and Aboriginal communities and kids at risk. He knows nothing. Who, who the is state, the Was it Mr Gillespie? I look, at, as I said, all those white people look alike to me, so I've got them confused. Um, well, I think it was
0: similar. David
1: Gillespie. I well, it, yes, that was him. Yeah, same name as an old cricket player. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, so Gillespie, you know, he needs to be bowled right out. Uh, because it, yeah. here we have a minister of the Crown who cannot even tell the truth. On national television, we, we've got to remember those deals on Seven uh, on Sunrise. You know, they're, not, they're not very well-informed people; they just they're just heads on but TV. But make the...
0: sweeping generalisations like, well, has well, a, a historical but... context in which there's been a stolen generation.
1: Well, it, you know, crazy. Laura, Laura um, Murphy, hates from um, MIT, did a piece on Vice for Vice Land, and she pulled it apart factually. And bang, 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 and three points she made straight away about what happens to kids, uh, whether kids are at risk or not. And that was in the first two sentences of their clip. In the first two sentences, she pulled apart three inaccuracies that were made in two sentences. The rest just went downhill from there. The other thing they did, and this is what I call pure cowardice, is they pulled blinds down, soundproofing blinds down so nobody in the studio could hear what was going on. They put a false backdrop there. When you look out the window of the Sunrise Programme, you see a view of who's walking in Martin Place at the time. Well, I had in my hand. I, I was home in bed with the flu, but I had in my hand um, live streaming of the uh, uh, of our warriors out there um, demonstrating and protesting. But the sunrise background was just people walking through Martin Place, no protesters. So that put up a false false background to show that there were, you know, to uh, portray to ordinary viewers that there was no, no backlash from the racist comments they made. So they're, they're hiding away. They're hiding away, but they they won't hide away because there's going to be protests every day till this and you know, general little cohorts of uh, white supremacists apologise on national television for their white supremacy. Personally, I think they should be stood down. We, we've got to a stage in our society where we've got such a fascist government in that these fools are coming out saying what they want, when they yeah, want... Yeah. Because they know they'll get away with it. You know, you, you've got a prime minister in there who's such an idiot. He doesn't. Mm. He knows nothing about Aboriginal affairs whatsoever. He's such a foolish man. Mm. He, he doesn't know what's happening within Aboriginal communities. This guy is so completely thick to what it's... to Aboriginal affairs here, uh, that it's little wonder all the lunatic element like Armitties, McSweeney, and this Gillespie come out and mouth off their rubbish, and they get away with it continually. It's not the first time Sunrise has got it completely wrong. They've been caught out in the last 12 months on four different occasions saying blatantly racist statements. I would like to see them not get government-selected people on there, but to get grassroots people on there and front up to them live on television and debate the subject with them. They wouldn't last five seconds. But even if they're not...
0: Yeah, even if they're not Aboriginal, Ken. Even if they're, they're allies, or you know, people that work in the with industry, Aboriginal who people. knows? Yeah.
1: Who, who, know, who know the truth of the matter? Not these ludicrous, just headline grabbing statements that Armitage has a habit of making. And I don't know why they dragged Prue McSweeney out. I mean, I, I thought I thought she was gone in the eighties. You know, they oh. <laughs> they got her off the air in the eighties. You know, we're we're looking at dinosaur material here. So, um, and what happened to
0: family reunification? You know what, what happened to all that? Well,
1: according I'm... to them, um, you know, it's a, and if you listen to the um, if you listen to their statements co- closely, um, the stolen generation. Well, perhaps it's time for another one. So they're endorsing a stolen generation, not reading now. It, it, uh, as um, uh, Laura Murphy h pointed out. Two minutes on a Google search would have showed that they had it completely wrong. Two minutes on a Google search. They could have went further and read Bringing the Home Report to find out that a lot of kids in uh, white care that were placed with white families were sexually assaulted. Now, we have we have kids that are... Our, um, our, some of our mothers have won cases to bring them back because it was shown that they were taken illegally. Those kids were left with sexual predators within the white community. Now yeah. they're not looking at any of this. This is documented. This is documented in government. In the bringing searches, them home. Report and they're bringing them a, a report that has been tabled in Parliament. Yes. Prue McSweeney, Sarah Armitage, David Gillespie. Read the reports that your own governments have implemented and tabled in Parliament as a factual document. Read it and get yourself educated. The other thing is start asking Aboriginal people or people working within the industry. Why not just have a check of the government uh, speech of the apology ten years ago, where Consult. they said sorry exactly. for stealing children illegally from their families? So they've got they're, they're even they're, they're shooting up their mouth at stuff that is can be proven to be factually wrong at the blink of an eye. But Ken, this is how unintelligent you know these poor creatures are!
0: Let me tell you something. You know, I it's such nonsense because. It, like I used to work for the foster care system, and we used to place children with people of their own culture wherever yes, possible. Yes. That was that was the first option, and and it was written in policy. So yes, I really it, it don't is. know where they're getting these mis mistruths from.
1: Well, what this is what see it's they it's not where they get this truth. This is what they want. This is yes. an agenda they want. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. want to see Aboriginal kids given to white families. It doesn't matter whether these kids are sexually abused by these white families. They want an assimilation process. They want kids taken out of Aboriginal families to be de-Aboriginalised. They want a white Australia policy. This is their agenda. This is why they don't bother educating themselves. They're quite happy to go along in their white supremacist mode. And it, it served them well today because, seriously, no government or no broadcasting tribunals to pulled them up. So... You know, we've got, we're going to have a close look at the media and the, the power of the media and you know, the governing bodies of the media. I, I remember there was a time where we had racist ads pulled off television because we uh, pro- we protested the Australian um, uh, Broadcasting Tribunal. Racist ads were pulled off. You try, and, you try and go there now and they've got all sorts of excuses why these people uh, were allowed to say what they did. So the whole industry needs a really... Hugh Jacob, and the type of people that they're employing in these positions. Why would you want white supremacists sitting there as your guest panellists? Why would you want that?
0: Exactly. You only want it
1: for one reason, to belittle and demonise Aboriginal people amongst the millions of viewers they have. I mean, there were people at the um, uh, at the protest, as soon as David Kosh saw the protesters, he stormed out of the studio in disgust. These people cannot own up to what they are and what they belong to. They belong to an exclusive club of white supremacists.
0: And, you know, it's very interesting because I was just talking off air to some, some other people about this topic, and it seems to me that when the economy goes down, that's when all the fascists and the right-wingers come out, and in particular when um, the political leaders give permission for that.
1: Well, it's like, you know, I, I've said it in your program before, it's like Turnbull when he called the um, graffiti art associate graffitied Statues here in Sydney. call them uh, Stalinist like, oh, yes, like yes. behavior. Oh, you know, oh. little do we know, he, he doesn't even realise tens of thousands of people were killed under that revolution by Joseph Stalin. <laughs> so two, um, two uh, statues get graffiti and he calls them Stalinist like. People know that's a really bright statement from Malcolm Turnbull. So you, you see what sort of deal we're dealing with. We're dealing with a man that's completely out of touch with reality. At the same very same time, there are three very suspicious deaths or killings in custody here in New South Wales, others in other states. Very suspicious, huge question marks. This Prime Minister did not comment on, and I'll tell you why he didn't comment on them, because he knows nothing about them.
0: Now, just very briefly, um, can you list who those are?
1: Well, the the three very suspicious ones were Tane Chatfield, um, young uh, Eric Whitaker. And two years ago, David Dungo, which oh, yes. the coronial Inquiry is coming up uh, in mid-July this year. It's taken two and a half years to get a coronial Inquiry. Each of those deaths has some very serious questions. But let's let's not forget the TJ Hickey yeah. killing 14 years ago in Redfern where a police officer was allowed to get in the stand and uh, say, I um, refuse to give evidence on the grounds that may incriminate me, and the coroner allowed him to go where six witnesses who were sitting around at the time where TJ was impaled on the fence by the police were not allowed to give evidence, where the bike he was riding disappeared until after the criminal inquiry. And 14 such a, years yeah. later, these questions are still up in the air. Now we've got three other families with very, very serious questions to be answered that corrective services in each case, when the, when the bodies of these young men were found, the Minister of Corrective Services got up and said, Within an hour, within one hour, there's no suspicious circumstances around these deaths. How would he know? He wouldn't have had time to get out of his pyjamas to go and investigate. How would he know?
0: Yeah. Look, it's it's pretty See, crazy, and and over that fourteen years with T J Hickey, you know, Ken, I'm sure you well look at
1: realized... the tor- torture, the extremely残酷,
0: yeah, and the, the way the Hickey's taught. have been persecuted. I mean, the doing they time show been. came and covered the trial of when the Hickey's yeah. were persecuted, and police were lying on the on the stand. Do,
1: do you remember? They that? do. They do it again. It goes back over thirty years ago. With Eddie married the whole family. Cop it. They're trying to fight for justice over again. The coroner's report uh, came deaths by a person or persons unknown. Well, he was in the Weewa police cell. Who else would have killed him? They don't give the keys to civilians, so the only people who could have killed him were the police, but no one was ever charged.
0: We need now, their to...
1: own reports of death by personal persons. Like exactly, no
0: exactly. And they we need want... to implement the, isn't it, Ken, we need to implement the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Well,
1: I, I think because now our all these years they've never implemented it, and I think we, we've got a whole new set of demands that need, need to be uh, flogged out between us, uh, to grassroots people, activists at the front line and governments, a whole new set of things that they must put in immediately. And we, we should not have to demand this. We should sit down and tell them straight to their face and they should just put it straight in because we're talking about saving lives here. We're not, we're not talking about letting our people have a free ride through the jail system. We're talking about saving lives. That's what we want to do. Yeah. And if we save the people, the lives of our people, it'll water down and other people's lives may be just saved at the same time. I've always said people have got to come up and wake up to this fact because if they kill every last one of us, They'll start at the most vulnerable at the uh, bottom of your, the white people's food chain and they'll start killing them. But people want to yeah. wake up for that.
0: And you know, uh, Ken, I don't know whether you've heard about this, but I've been reading lots of articles about um, young Aboriginal students who, when they try to ask a question in class, one particular young girl was told by her teacher, I'm not going to answer your question. Go to your tutor. Don't Aboriginal children get a free ride?
1: Yeah, this, this That is, this really, is disgusting oh. In the 1990s, there was a documentary made, which they actually, a little test survey they did around classrooms in New South Wales, and it mirrored one that was done in America. What they did, they actually picked the best teachers, the teachers who presumably didn't have any racism with them. They voluntarily were allowed to be filmed while they are teaching. They were shocked to the core, at how they dismissed readily Aboriginal children who had their hand up, how at the end of the class, when kids came to ask them a question, how they dismissed the Aboriginal kids and answered the white kids. These were the good ones. These were the hand-picked ones that were not identified as
0: racist.
1: They themselves watched it, and in shock horror, they saw themselves in their own bigotry, subconscious institutionalised bigotry at work for the first time. Now, they, that, that was the good element of the teaching. See, could you imagine, can you imagine the redneck element? Oh. Could you imagine how, how what a disaster this would be in a classroom for an Aboriginal kid, A, to sit isolated and, B, have to put up with uh, white trash like that, telling you, oh, you all get a tutor, so go and ask them.
2: Absolutely. So,
1: yeah. and can That person this... should, you know, that person, the only job of that person would be an assistant to uh, yeah. Malcolm Turnbull because they know as much about Aboriginal affairs as he does. Nothing. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, you, you have to laugh, otherwise you, go, you it, go crazy, you know. You
1: will go crazy. Absolutely.
0: Ken, it's so lovely to have you on. You, you've you just made my day. Um, Thank you. It's approximately 4.90. I've got to leave with a
1: joke. I'm oh, sorry, have got to leave go with a joke. Yeah, yeah. What do you call a penguin in India?
0: Careful. Yeah. What?
1: Lost. Lost. <laughs> Oh dear. That's stupid. That's, that's stupid. You've you got to laugh.
0: you've got to laugh. I don't know, Ken.
1: Well, if he was in, didn't you? He wouldn't be finding his way around there. He wouldn't
0: know where he Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that's what he's going to do. We better, in we better be lost. careful.
0: We're getting onto borderline defamation now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Watch out. No, it's, nah, it's not.
1: Peg would have took the wrong turn Well, that's right? true. <laughs> wandered down, he turned it up, and then you we know,
0: call you, and he said, lost. Oh, <laughs> Ken, what am I going to do with you? <laughs> 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 yeah. I might, Actually, Ray Jackson's memorial anniversary is coming up soon, and I, I hope yeah, to actually go up to in Sydney. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, it'd
1: be good if he could come up, yeah. Yeah, yeah and,
0: and see if we can honour him for one, one more anniversary, another anniversary. He was pretty amazing.
1: Well, we used to have a lot of jokes together, so that's, you know, Fantastic. in the middle of rallies too, and he'd say... Just
0: be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Ken. All right. Well, you have a lovely week, and um, and I'm sure we'll be having you back for future updates.
1: Thank you very much, Marisa. Thanks have a good so much. Look back. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay.
0: Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Ken Canning from ISJA speaking about Aboriginal deaths in custody and the Stolen Generation, and how, in many ways, um, perhaps the government wants the Stolen Generation to continue.
2: Why do you reckon people should subscribe to 3CR?
0: Because I think we have more awesome music shows than anywhere else. And they're niche and they're interesting and they're adventurous. 3CR, the perfect companion in your car on your road trip.
1: If you're on digital, mm. no tram interference. But mm. if you're streaming, there's no tram interference.
2: No. That's true. But if you That's
3: like, own, interference is always
2: the AM. The AM, old school. <laughs>
1: oh, who oh. Like, you know, some people like the crackle on vinyl. Well, yes, or some, some people like noise music, <laughs> experimental noise mm-hmm, music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: To subscribe to 3CR, unwaged is thirty-five dollars. Yes. yes. Waged, seventy-five. And solidarity, one fifty. One fifty.
1: That's pretty reasonable to help keep 3CR on air. Call 3CR 9419 8377 and subscribe. Subscribe today. Subscribe now. You've got to remember Nanox is a special day for us fellas. As a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am I'm
3: Nadoc means a lot to me, it's about identity and also about past and present.
1: Nadoc means a lot to me for my family and my people.
3: And the people forgetting about our rights.
0: You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3CR.org.au forward slash Beyond the Bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast.
3: Happy Nadoc.
0: You're back with the Doing Time show. And next up on the show, and I thought I would actually um, introduce this topic um, towards the middle of the show because there's quite a lot of material to get through. And we're going to be speaking shortly with um, Jules Kim, who is the CEO of Scarlet Alliance. And Scarlet Alliance is an organization representing sex workers. And just to give a little bit of an intro, a transgender woman is currently being held in solitary confinement in WA's Casarina Maximum Security Prison for Men. In January, CJ Palmer was found guilty by a Perth District Court jury of committing grievous bodily harm for transmitting HIV. The prosecution claimed that Ms Palmer was criminally negligent as she failed to tell a man whom she was in an eight-month intimate relationship with that she had previously tested positive for HIV. However, Ms Palmer has maintained that she had never been told she had the virus. In February, the 40-year-old sex worker was sentenced to six years imprisonment with a non-parole period of four years. At the time of sentencing, Miss Palmer had already served 321 days on remand. So she's now looking at spending at least three years and 40-odd days in solitary confinement. Now, we're going to be speaking shortly um, with Jules and also possibly with Andrew as well, the Chief Executive Officer of Transgender Victoria, if, he, if he's able to make it. Um, and we're going to be speaking about the human rights of transgender prisoners And also talk a little bit about what's happened because obviously um, it's terribly important that people um, are able to disclose HIV without fear. And it seems to have been criminalised so much. And in fact in Western Australia, just to talk about the human rights um, of transgender, the treatment of prisoners is governed under the WA Prisoner Act 1981. Now, Section 44 of the Act mentions the separation of male and female prisoners, but it makes no reference to trans detainees. And the WA Gender Reassignment Act 2000 allows for an individual to be legally recognised as their gender identity if they are a WA resident and have undergone gender affirmation surgery. However, Ms Palmer doesn't meet the criteria to be legally recognised New South Wales is said to have the best model in the country when it comes to incarcerating trans inmates. After risk factors are considered, it allows for trans people to be imprisoned in accordance with their gender identity and detainees are also provided with hormone therapy treatment. So I've actually taken the liberty of um, quoting sections out of an article written by Sydney criminal lawyers um, who have some really, really pertinent information to this topic and I wanted to provide listeners with some preliminary material to go on um, leading up to this very very important interview Um, and we'll be speaking to her in approximately four minutes Um, so and so just a quick note here also on criminalising HIV so the state didn't charge Ms Palmer with intentional transmission And advocates for people living with HIV have criticised the laws for being outdated as they allow for the imposition of steep penalties for transmitting a virus that can now readily be treated. And in New South Wales, an individual living with HIV can be sentenced up to six months prison time for failing to take reasonable precautions against transmitting the virus. However, due to changes to the law made last year, it's no longer a requirement that a person living with HIV has to disclose their status. So it'll be very interesting um, to speak with, with um, Jules about this and also I'm hoping that Andrew will be able, is able to join us as well um, depending on his commitments and whether or not he is able to make it. Um, And I did speak with him today and he said he's going to do his very, very best. And you're back with the Doing Time show and pretty soon we're going to be speaking to two guests. Um, It's going to be pretty interesting. I think we're going to be having a bit of a mini mini panel here. So uh, we're going to be speaking um, with Andrew from um, Transgender Victoria. And Andrew, I believe you're the Chief Executive um, officer of Transgender Victoria, is that right?
2: Executive director, that's right. Executive,
0: no, oh, executive director. Excellent. Yeah. Same thing, I suppose. Same yeah. hierarchy. And um, so, thank you for joining us. Welcome. And we're going to be speaking also with um, Jules. Yep. Hello, Jules. Jules Kim Good from thing. from the um, Sex Workers Alliance, and, and sorry, Scarlet Alliance. Is that yeah, right? Scarlet the Alliance. Italian.
3: Yeah, Australian Sex Workers
0: Association. And the, your organisation resp- represents sex workers, correct?
3: That's correct. Yep. And what's your title? Uh, I'm I'm the CEO of Scarlet Line.
0: Wonderful. And welcome to both you and Andrew. And I gave a little bit of a preliminary um, intro, and we can talk about that in a sec. But happy to have you both. And and I think we need to talk about what's happening, isn't it? About the human rights or the violations of human rights. Of transgender gender prisoners, mm-hmm. and
3: look at what's happened with CJ Palmer. Who'd like to start? Sure. I mean, I can I can talk a bit about the details of CJ's case. If is that's that okay, helpful. Andrew?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. No, uh, I'm I'm not really across CJ's case. I know yep. about what's happening in Victoria, so go for it. That go sounds for it. good. Yep.
3: Yeah. So um, CJ is a transgender woman. Has. And uh, who has also been a sex worker who was charged with um, transmitting HIV to her partner at the time, um, who, you know, it's been established that it was her partner that she was in a non commercial relationship with, um, even though the reporting has really played up the angle of her being a uh, trans woman sex worker. Um, That's, uh, you know, obviously the details of the case are. you know, that it involved two human beings. It's an unfortunate case for everyone involved. Um, and it's, it's particularly unfortunate for CJ because she is facing uh, more extreme punishment um, just because of who she is and because the the system isn't equipped to deal with um, transgender prisoners in WA. So um, it, it's uh, not only does she have to face a custodial sentence for something that I think that many of us would argue doesn't really belong in the criminal justice system it was borne out in the case um, in the uh, trial that there was no intent um, uh, in, in the transmission of um, HIV CJ's maintained um, you know uh, that um, that it, you know her innocence in this case but regardless of, of what you believe um, it's uh, it is some situation where she is um, is being subject to more onerous conditions just purely on the basis of the fact of her the fact that she's transgender. Yeah, that that
0: doesn't sound sound very healthy, does it?
3: No, no. I mean, even just um, on the on the basics, like you know, when when she was. Um, in WA, they have what's called the WA's Prisons Act, and it still doesn't have any provisions for transgender prisoners in there. They've got uh, provisions for men and women, and, um, you know, so uh, basically she would have had to have legally had her sex changed. And in order to do so um, in WA, you actually have had to have gender reassignment surgery, um, so because of the fact that they didn't know where to place her, she was put in crisis care unit. Um, you know, even though she didn't need to be in the crisis care unit, that they, they, it was literally because they didn't know where to place her. And there, you know, for, um, she had, uh, was, you know, had a great difficulty getting access to a hormone, so hormones were cut off. Um, and I think that there's, um, considerations in terms of duty of care, in, in ensuring that somebody doesn't lapse in their hormone treatment to something that, you know, that, that she had been um, on for a number of years, a great number of mm-hmm. years. So, um, and, uh, you know, all those kind of basic concerns of being in solitary, in a cell, by mm-hmm. herself, um, uh, you know, ostensibly for her own protection because she's being held in a male maximum security prison.
0: Do you want to comment on that, Andrew? What do you, what do you think?
2: Uh, yeah, that is just a, a frightful situation to be in. And even with the changes in Victoria that are substantial and moving very much in the right direction, that is still going to happen uh, frequently to people who enter the justice system in Victoria, uh, particularly in the early stages of their confinement, Um 're still using that idea that um, the the four things that a prison system the prison system here takes into account now instead of just being we used to be housed according to a genitalia mm-hmm. rather than saying whether you'd changed your gender or not, it was literally what did you have in the the downstairs area? Um, And that was how you were housed in the system here. But recently there have been changes and there is now um, Commissioner's requirements of how to uh, treat trans and gender diverse people as well as intersex people. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, there's a whole new document uh, that is the Commissioner's requirements for this and... It means that if a person identifies themselves as trans or gender diverse or intersex uh, at that point of coming into the prison system, then they ha- two things happen. You have to have a medical officer have a look, have, you know, have a talk to you, an appointment, and at that point you'd be able to say what hormones you're on, who your doctor had been, how you, you know, when you got prescribed them, whether you're diagnosed or not. So that if you can verify those things, if you haven't been getting these things on the black market, so to speak then you can actually get them quicker in the system because if they can verify that it's gone through, that it is a legitimate medication you were on, then in Victoria you do stay on that medication. That's the recommendation. And then the second thing is that three days from that point, within three days, they have to have what's called a management panel, sentence management panel, and that management panel will look at where you're going to be housed So they'll take into account um, what threat are you to other prisoners, what threat are other prisoners to you, what threat are you to the actual prison system, and what's your preference. They're the four things that they look at. But because of that idea that um, other prisoners might be a threat to you, which is very often the case regardless of where you're housed as a trans person, uh, you can find yourself in these solitary confinement cells and without anything there to psychologically support you. They they are punishment cells, frankly. And so you may have your sentence for whatever you've done, but you kind of get double punished, if you know what I mean. For no good reason, you're in this place, not because you've played up, but because of who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that
3: highlights, like, the inconsistencies. Um, the only other kind of prison system that I've had, um, uh, you know, uh, experienced in terms of, um, you know, transgender prisoners was in New South Wales, and that was quite a different situation. Um, WA has been quite an eye-opener in assisting um, CJ in her case. Um, in how backwards legislation is there and it sounds like you're doing some great things in Victoria.
2: Look I'm really proud of what's happening down here in Victoria. I think it's absolutely awesome. It's just been rolled out late last year so we're still in a stage where we've got to train prison staff and officers and general managers and everyone involved so that they actually understand that the rules Mm. have changed so on the ground it's still struggling to get there but we are getting there and there are steps in place which is so awesome
3: yeah that's fantastic like we've often had that issue as well even when we've been dealing with the police and um, mm. you know, to have sex industry liaison officers th- to deal with sex workers. But, you sure. know, you might get agreement at a high level, but the boots on the ground, it's about getting the officers that are dealing with, um, you know, the, the people um, day-to-day. have
2: that to be a challenge. Yeah,
3: it is a challenge. <laughs> Some definitely. of that challenge
2: is finance, just to get across everyone to, to actually do the training of the number of people there are. Uh, mm. But, yeah. And you would have heard the Abri- about the
0: Aboriginal death in custody of Veronica Baxter, who was a tra- transgender woman in New South Wales, mm. um, and that was a that was quite terrible. And she wasn't given her her hormone therapy and many other issues as well.
3: Yeah, I think there's a, like particularly when it comes to like intersections like uh, with Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander prisoners. There's a whole range of other issues there as well which um you know i think that the uh, prison system has a long way to go um you know uh it's it's um incredibly unfortunate i mean what what i can say is positive is some of the media um attention that's kind of come about after the sentencing has has meant that um uh cj's conditions have improved we have managed to get her back on hormones so she so was actually on on yeah which was fantastic but it it did actually take um a uh, Magenta, the sex worker service in WA, coordinated for a doctor um, to go out there um, at her own cost because she mm. actually did have a prescription, but they um, they cut the prescription off. And the guy, the prison doctor, was just really, he was uh, incredibly unsympathetic and mm. basically said that he wasn't going to prescribe hormones um, uh you know um because you know he, he as he put it in his own words he didn't see women in a men's prison so he wasn't mm. going to give hormones for a non-medical purpose you mm. know um so you know
2: it, it meant it's funny he, it, it's funny how yeah. that things like that get said isn't it considering that transgender or trans identities are still under the DSM in in the medical act so when when they then choose to spout that it's not for medical purposes well it is because we wouldn't be in the act otherwise you know exactly (laughs) it always gets me when they when they do these sort of things
3: yeah and I mean how it's it's just so facetious to say to somebody who really doesn't I mean and, and I understand that there are some trans prisoners that, um, you know, and and it's about that choice, whether they, you know, where they choose to be. Um, But for CJ, she does want to be in a women's prison. Mm. And it's, it's incredibly facetious to say to somebody who doesn't want to be in a man's prison, oh I, wa- I, wa- I don't deal with women's issues in a men's prison mm. you know, <laughs> so I mean understandably CJ was incredibly upset at that but um, it was uh, great mm. um, that the uh, media coverage and um, around the sentencing and also um, some advocacy from her lawyer meant that um, she, uh, a doctor at her own cost, went out to the prison and got her back on the hormones. So that that was um, significant, and now she's also been moved to the special handling unit, uh, which is a uh, special.
2: Slightly better. <laughs> sounds yeah. like yeah, it sounds <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like dog training or something.
0: <laughs> Can I just well, say I, also, like I, yeah. I wanted to look. This is this is something that that brace yourselves, both of you, because this is something that does need to be said, I believe. Okay, let's just say that there's a scenario, okay, where they say, all right, we'll put um, someone in a female, the the transgender person in a female prison, which it should happen. And then do you think, what would happen if other prisoners didn't want them? How, How would you... How would you do that? Because there are idiots in, out there, you know, people that are, not idiots, but, you know, people that are homophobic and transphobic. Like, how, how would you deal with that? And how would you balance out that safety? I think listeners need to, to know those things to, well, I think to be educated. What Andrew
3: spoke about before, about that, that that sort of the four tiers of assessment, like mm. looking at you know, um, what risk they pose um, to other prisoners, what yeah. what risk other prisoners pose to them. You know, so if there's, if, the, if, if there's those kind of objective measures in place, I think that that would, um, you know, help. But obviously, I mean, it's not even... Um, in in um, CJ's case, it was also, like, there's really a lot of stigma around HIV as well. Mm. Yeah. And initially... Um, you know, in, when, in the first prison that she was on, um, a prisoner asked her for a cigarette, and she shared a cigarette. And she was told that she wasn't allowed to share cigarettes because she was HIV positive. Oh, now, no. as we all know, you can't transmit HIV from cigarettes. Mm, you know, that's
0: despicable
3: yeah but i mean so i do think that a lot of that comes to awareness raising which yep. organisation like transgender victoria yeah. are doing great great yep. job in um in doing but yeah i think there needs to be more of that where there is that kind of you know education awareness raising in the prison system particularly around issues like hiv and um you know um you know, for the diversity of prisoners as well
2: mm. the the fact that <laughs> the matter is that the prison population is as reflective of, of society and society's opinions about us as, as the general population is. Exactly. So mm. when you enter prison, you are coexisting in a very confined space with people mm. that may not like you and accept you. And it, it, that is the case of whether you go to the men's prison or the women's prison. Mm. And we've found in Victoria so far, we've had trans women in uh, um, in the women's prison and in the men's system, and we've had trans men in the women's prisons and in, in the men's. So we've had the, the situation so far of, of it all ways round, and um, it, it, as we say, the, the prisoner's preference is taken into account, and so is their sentence, the reason they're in there, their past history. Now, the prisons themselves have had to deal with what, what, the, what, what it's like in there, and... Even when you get in, say, the women's prison in Deer Park down here, um, you might choose to... Well, the, the prison staff might choose to have their person maybe not over in the cottages and maybe up in the more... Cell like environment, and it is actually for their safety, but it isn't those uh, isolated cells that we're talking about. So, I there's see. ways yeah. to move things around. With inside the prisons, there's different units. So, yeah. if there's trouble between two prisoners, they can move them so that they're separated. Um, it, it is difficult to manage these things, and obviously, there's moments where it goes astray and that's how you find out that someone doesn't like another person um it's it's not pretty but no it's not but
0: uh but it's got to be addressed
2: the, yeah well the the physical structure of the different um units inside each prison help them manage things like that but it's no means a rosy situation and what we're dealing with here let's face it let's say it is mm. it's systematic discrimination because if you have a situation where you only have men and women's prisons, mm. then you have this problem for transgender people. And what about non binary people? Like, really, right. you have nowhere mm. to put them that that is going to be appropriate. Mm. Exactly. I mean, you, 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 exactly. And, and I think,
0: look, we've only got about five minutes. Mm. Um, And it's fantastic. Look, we've covered a lot of ground, wouldn't you two agree? (laughs) Which is is a good thing. Um, But I think the the other thing, just so I can draw attention, because I did mention this in my intro, and I just wanted to see if you two wanted to comment on this. And Mm -hmm. you've talked a lot about the Victorian experience. Andrew, which is what we mm. wanted. But in Western Australia, the, the treatment of prisoners is governed under the WA Prisoner Act 1981, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And Section mm-hmm. 44 of the Act mentions the separation of male and female prisoners, but it makes no reference to trans
3: detainees. Mm. No, that's
1: correct.
0: Yeah? No?
3: Yeah, that's correct. And I think that that's a real limitation of, of the Act. And, uh, mm. you know, um, and so to, and also a further limitation is to be legally recognized as either a man or a woman you have to have um hmm. uh to go through this kind of the Gen- hmm. gender reassignment act of WA which requires you to go through this panel and also basically has have, have had um surgery you hmm. know um you know uh, so it's um what andrew spoke about earlier um it's kind of basically you know your genitals determining mm. where you're being
2: housed. Oh my god! Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty of, of um, Western Australia, as well as Victoria, this has not been updated in Victoria for a person to change their gender on their birth certificate, and that's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sterilisation. That's what it amounts yeah. to. That yeah. it, because, like, if you a lot of people often at the time we're talking about trans women, but when you talk about trans men. Who, mm-hmm. That and that's me, uh, mm-hmm. you, they say you have to have surgery to your reproductive organs for the purpose of passing as the opposite gender. Well, what mm-hmm. on earth does that mean? Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. I've had the chest mm-hmm. surgery done, but they say that um, breasts are secondary reproductive organs. So what uh. they're saying is I have to have a hysterectomy. Uh. But they're not saying I have to have an addictomy, which is add a dick to me, ha, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> just cut, I, cut everybody up. They, they don't, <laughs> you, They don't actually mean that. They mean if I have a full hysterectomy that then I can change my gender. So does that mean every woman who has is now a man? Like this is just ridiculous. It's, Mm. it's, the wording of the act doesn't work for starters. It it all comes back to the medical model,
0: doesn't it? And about looking at, you know, how we can actually break (laughs) down that that medical model, you know?
3: Do you know what was really interesting was looking at the New Zealand um, um, model. I mean, I was just recently in New Zealand and in order to kind of change um, your gender and your birth certificate, it basically requires a statutory declaration. Yeah, it's a it's pretty excellent. straightforward process. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. I mean, just across the ocean that, you know, that they can do that there. I, I don't understand why it's so difficult in Australia. And, um, you know, theoretically, I mean, it, it works in New Zealand. It could work in mm. Australia.
0: I'd love to talk about that sometime on another show, actually, when we've got more time.
2: Absolutely. But,
0: um, it's, that's really interesting that there is a, a country where, you know, that it does work. And finally, I think we do need to provide listeners with just a brief note about not criminalising um, HIV. Exactly.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And look, you know, I mean, I think that there's a a lot of fear around HIV. Now, I mean, there's been such uh, medical advancements around HIV that basically CJ is on her medication. She is undetectable. That means that she she presents no onward transmission risk. Mm. So if somebody takes their medication and they're undetectable on HIV, it means that they cannot pass on HIV to anyone else. Mm-hmm. you know and and so it it is um she is no uh she she places the community at no risk there are these really robust kind of criminal um uh public health systems in place that actually the criminal justice system all it serves to do is actually damage these um the health promotion model what mm-hmm. we found is that when people see these media circuses play out then they actually become fearful about getting tested and getting treated, and therefore, you know, and then, and um, therefore no longer being um, at, at risk of onward transmission mm. because of, of, you know, fear that if um, they are found to be HIV positive, then they will be um, put in jail and have their faces plastered all over the media and demonized. Mm. And, you know, um, I think that they're. Uh, is um, you know we, we are, uh, have a very successful model of um, a public health model of of managing HIV um, within the health system, and it really just does not belong in the criminal justice system. It's a
2: complete waste of money.
3: It's a complete <laughs> waste of money. It's a complete just waste of time. From that point
1: of view, like
2: yeah, it's ridiculous I mean, to have someone. Of view,
3: I mean. Even if you don't look at the human rights impacts yeah. of it, you know, yeah. it, it is. It just is a complete waste of money. Absolutely. It's crazy. And
0: you can live a full
3: life.
2: Absolutely. You with can. with HIV. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Oh,
3: Absolutely.
0: Medi-
2: medications have come an exceptionally long way. And it's a matter of the stigma and the, the knowledge of people to realise that that has happened, to mm-hmm. destigmatise it, to get it into the same zone as any other sort of medical condition that you now have to manage and manage is what you do you do manage very well
0: i would have been very interested to hear to see what would have happened if if cj palmer hadn't been transgender or sex
3: worker Indeed. Look, and I think that that's the really difficult part as well. Like, you know, I mean, there are suppression orders um, around the complainant, so I can't go into detail about that. Mm. But um, at at, at the same time, you know, it was compared to, you know, his social acceptability, her as a transgender sex worker who was an open injecting drug user, she's a woman of colour, you know. um, All those things, I think, played into the way the jury perceived her. And sure. it was a real eye-opener for me because I've been working in the health sector for a really long time. I've been, you know... Um, and But actually, you know, just seeing how the general public perceives transgender people how the general public perceives sex workers and how they perceive HIV it just I mean from day one it was hard to see how she would actually get a fair trial.
2: Yeah it's it's an interesting thing that we sometimes talk about that for the trans population in some ways it's really back to where the uh, gay populations were back in the 80s with social acceptance and things so when you put transgender and then you put HIV into the same thing. The person's mm. probably you know hardly got a start. They've hardly got to run out of the gates. So. Now we've got yeah. one
0: minute. Um, websites for Scarlet Alliance and also Transgender Victoria in case people need help.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Look, so Scarlet Alliance is uh, it's at uh, Scarlet Alliance all one word one T dot uh, org dot au. But also I'd encourage people to go on to um, Chuffed, um, which is CJ's. Um, uh, we've basically got a campaign there but also if you don't have any money to donate there's also um, her address details so that you can write to her she's really appreciating receiving the letters especially lovely. because she is so isolated mm. so if you just type in um, CJ and Chuffed it will come up on it comes up number one on the Google search
0: beautiful and yeah. Andrew TransgenderVictoria.com Transgender- it's really easy <laughs> TransgenderVictoria.com look thank you so much to you both it's been lovely to have you and i um, I always like these discussions. It's just terribly important, isn't it? Terrific. Thank you for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank
3: you so much for having us.
0: Thank you. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was um, Jules Kim from Scarlet Alliance and also Andrew, who's still here with us. From Transgender yeah. Victoria, yeah. and thank you so much for coming on. That was that was great. It's four fifty-seven, so it's goodbye from Marissa. And stay tuned every Monday from four till five for the Dawn Time Show. Do listen um, to the podcast. We're going to be podcasting this show and every show, and um, we're going to be going out pretty soon with our theme song, "Black Fella, White Fella" from the Rumpy Band, and um, Beyond Zero is up next. Bye.